For this next section, we're going to be talking about the female gaze that I just mentioned and K-pop and attraction, sexuality, and why K-pop always makes us all feel outside of our mind, all the thirsty uh, <laughs> fan cams, and what are the pillars of sexuality in K-pop? What are we responding to? What's conscious and what's unconscious? And just diving deep into why does K-pop make everybody so horny? Put your head on my Hello, welcome to another episode of Grown Ass Fandom. It's Shanae here, episode three, we're back. Can you believe this? We're doing it, it's happening. It's a part of, it's a part of my week now. And the music, the intro music today was sexy, huh? And the reason why it was sexy is because we're talking about sex today. It's a sex episode of Grown Ass Fandom. K-pop, sex, sexuality, sexualizing, attraction. We're talking about all that stuff today. So get excited. For, and again, this is Grown-Ass Army. So if you don't like that stuff, listen another time. <laughs> we'll try to be classy about it. Okay, so first we're going to do Locals News. I forgot to do Locals News last week. So Locals News this week is that I have been watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, which... I thought I would really like because they're both so hot. They're so hot. And I liked the characters in the movies. But the show is really boring. Are any of you guys watching it? It's super boring. And I think the issue is, and this actually connects to something we're going to talk about later, is that the chemistry between the leads just really isn't there. It's not there. And it's interesting because I know I was talking to a friend about this and she was like, oh, they had chemistry in the movies. And I was like, did they? And it's so important because if you watch Marvel movies, a lot of what makes those movies work, because they don't technically really work that well <laughs> as like actual films. I said it. But what makes them work is that there's some out of the world chemistry between the actors, which is why I think a lot of times when we think about BTS's success and why are they so successful, or like a band like GOT7 and some of these other bands feel stickier than some other bands. It has a lot to do with chemistry between um, people and people feel that. And so a lot of times if the chemistry is good, you can excuse a lot of stuff. But if the chemistry isn't good, you are seeing all these holes and the fact that the show doesn't make sense and it's really boring. And Sam's character feels like very performative. I know that they have a lot of black people in the uh, writer's room, but maybe they felt a lot of pressure. And so he doesn't feel natural. The show's not very good. If you're watching the show, let me know. Obviously, I'm going to finish it. I loved WandaVision. I loved WandaVision. I forgot which one of you guys did WandaVision. Because I don't know if you noticed this, but I stalk you guys on TikTok. <laughs> like, I... So on TikTok, 
if I see like a profile come up a bunch of times, I'll go to your profile and just see who you are because I don't know. I just like you guys are all cool and I want to know you and I'll check back. And one of you guys had WandaVision drawings you were doing and they were so good. And I fucking love that show. And one of the reasons why that show works is because of their amazing chemistry. And I like, I was like, oh my God, do I want to fuck Paul Bettany? Weird. <laughs> but that was a part of it when I was watching it. So yeah, if you're watching the show, let me know if you feel similar about it. Do you like it? Also, you could explain it to me. Find me on Twitter or TikTok and just tell me what's going on. I know more of you are following me on TikTok, Twitter, and you'll notice that I don't, I'm not an army on, I talk about all sorts of stuff, <laughs> mostly about this podcast now, but yeah, that was local news. I just wanted to mention it because I'm really disappointed because it's really well made. I'm a huge action movie fan. I literally have seen John Wick. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. And so I really love that stuff, but I don't like the show. Okay, that's enough. That's enough on local news. <laughs> we have other things to talk about, but I wanted to talk to you about talk to you guys about it. And also, let me know if you do want me to open the show up to talk about other stuff. Okay, so for this next section, I guess this first K-pop discussion is going to be about something. By the way, I feel like this section is going to forever just be the society sort of cultural critique section or talking about how our relationship to K-pop on a greater scale, even though this is what this whole podcast is about. But I feel like at the beginning is when I really get into it. And so this topic is really interesting, especially given what we're going to be talking about later. And I had been sent a couple of messages about this this TikTok that explained this seminar that was conducted that kind of showed that was about like K-pop and then the specific seminar was about K-pop and black women, Korean men and black women. And it showed some of the imagery that exists out there uh, about black women and K-pop women, some of the um, fanfics, images, all that stuff. And so there's a big uproar about this. And I think it was, there's like a lot of reasons why people were up in arms about it. I saw that there was a lot of, you're being watched I think somebody said that you're a guinea pig, you're being watched, people are marketing to you. And let me first say that everybody's being marketed to. You know, this is just one example, but I know that they have files on the Kriaboos, they have files on the shippers, they have files on everybody who engages in K-pop that they have identified as a big group and they understand it and they see it and they're marketing to you. So this idea that Black women are being uniquely targeted for analysis and to be unpacked is just untrue. I do think that there's like a level of sort of embarrassment that was coming up about that these things existed. And so people were attacking Black K-pop stands in particular around all this, even though, like I've said many times, <laughs> and me particular, I can't speak for other Black K-pop stands, but I will say that for myself, you put a Black man, a white man, a Middle Eastern man, a Mongolian man, whatever man you put in a room, they all have the same ability to fuck you over, okay? They all, it's equal opportunities. Men are men are men everywhere. But I do think that the relationship between Korean men and Black women is unique because of a couple things that are not being said. There is like this attacking black women for feeling this way or kind of having these feelings around Korean men when really that's not fair because we are black as black women we're just as susceptible to the female gaze as anybody else so the fact that we're uniquely not supposed to be impacted by the efforts 
uh, by K-pop and the K-pop community to make us become obsessed with them because we're Black women, especially given the fact that the reason why a lot of Black women connect specifically with the Korean culture or the K-pop culture is because there is a lot of cultural appropriation slash cultural appreciation that's built in. And not only are you getting this unique boyfriend experience, right? Like you're getting this boyfriend experience like everyone else, but it feels special and unique because there's this undercurrent of Black culture within Korean culture as it's being presented to you, which is why like a lot of times you get a lot of K-pop idols are coded as black. Uh, I think you've seen that the black K-pop idols, the light skin line, all that stuff. All that comes that's not that's not like anybody's imagination. <laughs> it's because there's a lot so you are as a black woman, you are connecting with this new culture with people who don't necessarily have a lot of the baggage that exists within the black community, right? So there's a lot going on between Black women and Black men right now. There's a lot of conversations happening. If you're on TikTok, you've probably heard them around. And that's like a bigger, complicated topic. And so I recognize that for a lot of Black women, it is nice to have some of the markers of your culture, the things that you treasure and love about being Black, be brought to you in this package that just comes with a lot less baggage because, again, it's like the female gaze and it's marketed to you. And also on top of that, as Black women, there's just like a lot of situations in which we don't feel like we have a lot of options within our dating life. And so then you have this Korean culture that seems to love these things about you. But like I said, it's very complicated, <laughs> the, the appropriation, appreciation, because there is a lot of anti-Blackness that exists in Asian communities, but there is an appreciation for parts of the culture. So the desire to reach out and have that bond with another person of color, it makes sense to me. And that's really what it is. Because I think a lot of times people are like, Black women, stop this. Like, you're making a fool out of yourself. But like I said, we are just like every, like, everybody wants to date these K-pop dudes. You know what I mean? There's lots of fanfic and art and stuff like that that's about this. Again, but I think that it does feel more personal to Black women because, like I said, because of the way we exist within the greater society and dating pool. And also because they are making a lot of references to our culture. It's all very specific to us. And sometimes as somebody who is a ratchet army, and again, this is like a, I am not ready to have this conversation yet about the the cultural appropriation gray area, because like I said, I'm not a feelings army. I'm a ratchet army. So the things that I'm responding to within K-pop are the things that feel familiar to me, that feel like not the blatant stuff, but like some of the music references and stuff like that. That is what I'm responding to. And yeah, that's, and so I just think it's interesting that this is the response to all this. And again, I just am very sympathetic to women who feel this way because, again, you're being marketed to to feel this way. And all anybody wants to do is feel loved and appreciation. And, you know, if you compare this to, I know that for Black women, it is about this cultural connection and stuff like that. And, but for other races, I do think that there is also a level of, and I've said this in private conversations, is that I think a lot of times people uh, feel like they can escape I think I said this last week, you can escape the the oppression of the patriarchy because of K-pop. And, it's, and I think somebody wrote this comment 
just this week where they were like saying that just because men are wearing makeup doesn't mean that they aren't any less likely to be misogynistic. And it's totally true. But I do think that a big reason why some of the other races flock to it is because of a response to the patriarchal system and feeling oppressed by it. So everybody has their reasons for being in K-pop. And so for Black women, it's slightly different. But again, we're just like everybody else. So this idea that we're supposed to be uniquely like immune to all this, because it's like this thing of, but if you're Black, you shouldn't want to date you should like i said you're you should be you should respond to the stuff differently because you are different so i always so like i said this response to it of being like black women i told you to leave those korean men alone and yes definitely don't hang your hopes on any man because that's just will have you out here looking like a fucking idiot but like you don't see people doing this with literally any other community but ours. And the fact that we have to both <laughs> deal with the cultural preparation, we're responding to things that are from our culture. And then when we respond to the things that are in our from our culture, we get demonized for it and it gets politicalized. And then we have to say, no, we don't want it. And it's just, ah, can you see, can you hear how exhausted I am with it? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Let's move on. Okay, so next topic so the next topic is a brand strategy review but it's like a brand strategy review with some flavor because it is really closely tied to our topic which is like sexuality female gaze and all that stuff and so one of my uh, tiktok followers tamara yes hi tamara thank you so much for sending this to me sent me a music video called libido from this band called is it one of us Yes, only one of, <laughs> only one of. And I've watched it a couple times and it's really interesting because one of the things we're gonna talk about this episode is how the female gaze is really consciously cultivated in K-pop and what are the markers of the female gaze or the female, fe fem we're gonna just say female gaze, but I like whoever is attracted to that framework. And what is what are the markers of it? And how consciously is it being cultivated? And I would say that the only one of, and this video is very conscious of the female gaze. And it's truly like everything. So I got sent this video after I was preparing for this podcast. And literally everything that I wrote is in this video. <laughs> everything. And so I think that when it comes to this particular band, and I've only, I know they've only been around since 2019. They are, in order to stand out and in order to become popular, instead of like the subtext that exists, and again, I'm going to talk about this specifically as it relates to BTS, but a lot of it is not as overt. It's more you have to dig for it and you're finding the moments given the framework of these men and your relationship to the men and your sort of uh, your affection for them creates these connection points that feel really intimate and sexy to you so in the video they do a lot and so go watch the video i'll link it in the description below they do a lot of so they have shots of hands they have them drinking wine having them feed each other. One of the sort of markers of the female gaze and one of the reasons why K-pop is really popular is this complicated relationship 
women have with men, queer men identity, like how skinship is sexualized within the K-pop community. And again, I will talk about like the complexities of this later. But there is this energy around the eroticism of men being affectionate towards each other and sort of the eroticism of of queerness between male idols. I think it exists within female idolship. I, I don't follow girl groups as much. But in this video, there is intimate touch that is very overt. So it's not, oh, a little brush here. Like they are feeding each other in a very intimate way, the way that it's shot. Also, another marker of this is how there's a lot about non-threatening sexuality. So the softer female-centered sexuality feels non-threatening. It's just very soft. Not That's a lot of what in this video, they are taking off their shirts and it's lingering on the shirts being taken off. Again, feet, hands, shoulders, everything that you see in the sort of female gaze handbook is in this video. And it feels very conscious. And so I was watching it and I was like thinking, is this sexy? Can it, first of all, like I said, I think they're younger. Actually, let me check their ages while I'm here to see how that colors it as well. Because it is like only one of, let's see what the ages are like. They look pretty young. And so I think that in itself makes it not sexy for me. But let's see. Mm -hmm. 94, okay. 92, okay, so they're a little older. 96, yeah. Yeah, 96, 97. So they're all in their 20s. Well, this one's 99. So they're a little older, so they're not of a legal age, but they read younger to me. And so for me personally, like I said, it wasn't sexy to me, but I think the other reason why it wasn't specifically sexy to me personally was because it was so overt and it was so intentional, more so than I think that what I respond to more, which is sexuality that feels more innate and we'll talk about this a little bit in a second which is like sexual performance versus inherent sexuality but i can tell that this band the the marketing strategy is to take these markers of female sexuality and female gaze and really hit it home and so i would be curious i don't know as much about the band is to see how much of this is innate to them and how much of this is, like I said, the performance of this is for the sake of attracting people into standing out as a band that is able to actively engage with this stuff. I think it's really cool. I really think that it's really cool to have queerness. Like, again, I don't know if it's supposed to be quoted or not. It feels pretty overt to me. There's like really overt to like bondage, but like the light kind, which again is another female gaze thing where it's not like hardcore bondage. It's just like little <laughs> scarfs around the wrists and stuff like that. It's all there. You have to watch the video. It's really interesting. And let me know if you think that it's sexy or not. But for me, to me, I, I really like the song, but to me, it feels a little too on the nose but maybe if I knew more about their personalities it would feel less so like that 
Do you know what I mean? So go watch the video and let me know. For this next section, we're going to be talking about the female gaze that I just mentioned and K-pop and attraction, sexuality, and why K-pop always makes us all feel outside of our mind, all the thirsty uh, <laughs> fan cams, and what are the pillars of sexuality in K-pop? What are we responding to? What's conscious and what's unconscious? And just diving deep into why does K-pop make everybody so horny? So I broke this down into sections. <laughs> and I think the first thing to do is to unpack the female gaze and apply it to K-pop in a couple different ways and talk about it. And so one thing to know about the female gaze is that, and I think I saw this in a, a TikTok and I'll try to find it and refer to it, is that women personify men and men objectify women. And so for women, what makes men sexy is the human parts of them. It's the connection. It's who they are as people. And then once a woman understands who you are as a person, then the attraction kind of grows. And the things that you do, just little things, like for example, showing your shoulder blades, end up triggering a huge sexual response and also creates this world of imagination because when you have somebody that you feel like you have a good sense of who they are and you like them, you build all these scenarios in your head. And that's where a lot of the fanfic world comes from in K-pop is how you've been presenting this presented this perfect boyfriend experience. And now because you don't feel threatened and because you feel really safe, because the boyfriend experience, of course, is about safety, you get to try all the freaky shit. That's exactly a, a summary of my findings. So how does, so what are some sort of, like I said, pillars of it? So first is like the emotional connection. How does emotional connection get cultivated within K-pop? The V-Lives, the sort of transparent behind the scenes footage that's just behind the scenes enough for you to give like that vulnerability but not enough to show the bad parts you have the shows like your run bts's your american hustle all these things where you put the k-pop idols in situations where they can show off who they are and also show off who they are in respects to each other because i hit on this last time but skinship Mm, is a huge part of the female gaze. And I think that the K-pop companies realize that there is something inherently hot to people about men connecting with each other and touching each other. And I think that the conversation around the fetishization of queer identity within K-pop is a big complicated topic. And I don't really have time to go into it here. But I will say that it's something that K-pop companies are aware of. And I think a lot of times people think that when they're seeing these things, they're, they're catching something. Oh, they didn't mean to leave that in, but really they did mean to leave it in. Like I guarantee they know about all these ships you're talking about. And I think a lot of times they're like, oh, now they just try to avoid it. They're not avoiding it. They will give you more. They'll give you lots of these moments. And whether or not it exists or not, Again, that's like a bigger, deeper conversation. But knowing that they exist to serve that part of women who like the idea of two of their idols fucking, whether it's real or not, is 
a part of what they're doing. And again, the issue of sexual representation and how they're able to be open and if these guys are in relationships and stuff is a different conversation. And I think that it's important to separate them. The fine line between fetishization of and creating identities for people that they haven't stated yet versus the genuine limitations within Korean culture. It's a little, it's a little hairy. I will say personally, I'm not a shipper because I feel like it is nightmarish to have people within, even within the same friend group hook up and have a relationship. So the idea that members of these groups are hooking up and breaking up and having to work with each other to me is a hellish, like it's truly hellish. Like I don't think it's sexy for them to all fall in love with each other. I just think it's like an, an accident waiting to happen and it'd be terrible for chemistry and all the stuff you like about a lot of these groups would be ruined because they would have to be awkward. And it would be even worse if it does exist and it is a secret and they're having to perform that's all awful. Like for me, there's no benefits of these men dating each other. <laughs> and that's not me being like anti-queer. I just think that from, a, I, I believe, of, of course, there's members of every group that are definitely queer. And I just hope that they're hooking up with members from other groups. That's what I hope. That's just an aside. Cause like it truly, and another thing, okay, <laughs> we're going to take a little side trip. I was talking to my friend about fantasies and stuff like that and how what your fantasies say about you. And I was talking to this friend who has a lot of fantasies around like the the fanfic that's about members fighting over you. It's always Tay and, and JK. Like you are trying to decide between two of them. And I was like, this is my hell. This is my hell. And my friend was like, I like to have options. I wonder what limits, what does that say about me as somebody who's actively fantasizing about anything that I, my first instinct is to like not, to to really not be into having two members of a group I like be into me. It's a nightmare to me. You guys should analyze me. What does that mean? And then I feel the same way about in the, the, fanfics there's always the scene where she like goes into the practice room or she's in a room hanging out with all the guys and I don't like that either I don't like that either what does that say about me I feel like I have a really scarce mindset (laughs) but yeah I don't know that's that's really interesting about that whole idea okay that was a little aside Maybe that could be our question for the day. What are, like, what you can message me these if you don't want to put them publicly. But, like, what are your, like, main, if you fantasize around the K-pop guys, if you don't do that, or, or fantasize around anything, about any, like, anybody, like, Harry Styles, Chris Evans, John Boyega, whoever you fantasize a bit, about what are the natures of your fantasies and what do they mean about you? And what are the things that, like, are, like, nightmare fantasies? And what do they mean about you? Even if it's not about K-pop. Because, like I said, I also hate – I've always, like, personally – and I write romantic comedies. I don't write love triangles because I don't like them. (laughs) But, again, I think that's, like, my shit. That's, like, my shit. That's stuff that I'm – anyway. Back to the female gaze. (sighs) But, Yeah. 
like I said, talking about the foundations, one of them is like queer eroticism around K-pop and skinship and the complicated stuff around that. Then there's like the non-threatening sexuality that I said. So a lot of times they will introduce light bondage. Blindfolding happens a lot in K-pop, stuff like that, where it's like the limits in which people can push without feeling like they're going to be hurt and they can experiment and stuff like that. And then, of course, there's the hands and feet, neck, especially the necks is a big one. Hands is a big one as a sugar hand enthusiast myself. And necks, who's, who's got your favorite neck? But yeah, I think, like I said, and then, of course, lips are another big female gaze, like lingering on lips. And like I said, showing them be intimate with each other, showing them be intimate with other people, showing them communicate their values, their wants, their dreams, their interests are all part of cultivating the female gaze. And it's all something that, you know, is done at varying levels of success across the industry. I think it's really interesting because every band has to lean on specific forms of female gaze. Like you can tell that bands that aren't necessarily connected to each other might lean a little bit more heavily on overt sexuality versus bands that are super connected and can rely on the chemistry between the members as a way to get people to be really excited about them. I'm not going to make any specific examples, but that's like the things that are done and K-pop like I said, they're very conscious of these things. Uh, I remember I was watching Run BTS and they were like, I think it was JK and he was like playing with, he was doing tennis and it said, you don't care what we're saying, just watch JK sweat. And I was like, they know about people's JK sweat kink. They're understanding of it all and they see it all and they're, they lean into it. Like they lean into it. And I think that's what makes uh, everybody crazy and it's interesting because again if we go back to like different bands trying different methods around this and how they highlight this and what bands are considered more sexual and are like really sexy and like overtly sexy but aren't necessarily more popular than bands that are maybe less sexy but have like more of a rabid fan base I think BTS is a good example of this. Whether he meant to or not, whether the, you could say whether or not Bang is just like an amazing strategist and decided early on to hide them more and be really demure with them. If that was his decision, if that was the member's decision in their own body stuff, like whatever it was, the decision to hide them and not necessarily be overtly sexy, but more, like I said, focus on their connection and their chemistry as a group and their emotional intelligence as a group. Okay, editing Shanae here. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about BTS as far as now-ish, as far as the peak success for, as far as like when they've had more fans than not. I feel as soon as it started to pick up, they really started to hide them. I know early on, Jimin was not hidden at all. He had his shirt off. Like the early footage of him is unbelievable, but they stopped that. And I feel like since that ended, they've been hiding them more and more. And so that's what I'm referring to here. So just wanted to make that note. Okay. 
enjoy the podcast. And especially since they're such like a feelings focused group, as opposed to focusing on their bodies, has created more of a lust and thirst around their bodies. <laughs> the fact that they like cover so much makes people go crazy when we do get something. Remember when Tay had his shoulder blades out during that run episode? Everybody lost their mind. Or the vlogs when Namjoon was like working out and stuff like that. But you compare that to a lot of other bands who are always shirtless. Like for example, Kai, I see him shirtless all the time. But again, he's a really popular idol. So I don't know if he's a good example. But it's just like a good example of like how different bands use different strategies of the female gaze to attract their audiences. So this got me thinking about, speaking of Kai, I was thinking about Kai when I was working when I was thinking about this podcast, about how there's different brands around the female gaze and how Kai is somebody who does represent the female gaze a lot because it's like the sexy, like this really sexy, intense performance from him. Like he's really sexy. He has this amazing body. He's tall. He has the rose in his mouth. He's just like showing you everything that he could do for you. And, and I just am not a Kai person. Like he's beautiful. I think he's hot, but do I think he's sexy? Not really. And I, and I think that's fascinating too about how the other thing that K-pop does is that it provides you with all these different types and you can see what your type is based off of like who you're into within the K-pop community. Because if you were to ask me who's hotter, like Sugar or Kai, I feel like there's a huge subset of people would be like, are you nuts? It's definitely... Kai, but I'd be like, there's no fucking competition. It's absolutely sugar because of what I find attractive. And again, I think that's the other thing that the K-pop industry does is they put people in categories. And I think, and so everybody has a different thing, like people who are really into Wanho. I think, again, I think Wanho is super hot. Do I think he's necessarily sexy? No. Like I said, I just think that He's a specimen. He's a fine specimen. And this, again, this when you talk about types and stuff like this, this reminds me of this conversation I had years ago about Magic Mike versus Magic Mike versus She's the Man. And I was saying how back in the day when I was obsessed with Channing Tatum when I was in high school, I was like, he's so much hotter and she's the man than Magic Mike, even though Magic Mike is like a more sexy performance. But I don't know. I preferred him being a sensitive athlete. I think that's the female gaze. <laughs> that's the female gaze at work. But then again, when it comes to Chippendales and stripping and stuff like that, I do think that if there's a story, it could be interesting when I've seen male strippers. But again, it's like a dick pic. It's not about the dick. Am I getting too crude? But you know what I mean? It's It's, it's more... So, but that's, again, my personal tastes. Kai's great. I think he's great. I need to learn more about him. Maybe once I, like, watch some of his videos and get to know him, I'd be like, yes, Kai is super fine. And he is super fine. He doesn't need me. But I just think that's a part of an interesting aspect of this whole thing. And like I said, every band and every company has a different approach to how they address this idea of what turns women on and what's going to be exciting for them and what's not going to be exciting for them or what people are going to respond to. But I do think it's interesting that the most popular band, BTS, the strategy is like very specific where they are really focused on the emotional connection between the members, 
who they are as people, emotional intelligence, and then you fill in the blanks with the other stuff because they're not giving you anything. They're just performing. And I think occasionally when they perform, they do obviously grabbing their crotches and stuff like that. And Bab say it feels really sexy. I think this goes to this other question of, and something that I feel uncomfortable about when I'm like into K-pop sometimes is like the performance of sexuality versus inherent sexuality and how awkward it is when you see some of these K-pop idols being sexy and that it's not anything that they feel or experience. It's a performance that they've learned from training. And you can tell because it's just like they're going through the motions because like I said, because of the female gaze and the focus on sexuality and K-pop and all that, they want to perform the sexy performance. But ultimately, it's only sexy if it feels like it's innate to the person and it's like really coming from them and they're really feeling it. Like I said, I think that I mentioned this in one of my TikToks. One of the things about Yoongi and watching his him performance, like, and then even like Taeyang, Taeyang, but Yoongi was like underrated as a sexual performer is that he's being really flirty and he's really enjoying himself. I was thinking about the difference between sexuality and sexual performance as it pertains to K-pop because I was, I was watching Lisa's latest film and I thought it was just so good. And the the one thing that was really good about it is I remember watching that one, the last one she did where she was in the shorts and her legs and stuff like that. And I just remember thinking that it felt so forced at the time. Oh, this is like her performing sexiness as it's as it relates to how she's heard of it being sexy, like how somebody told her that this is sexy, so do this. Versus the latest performance, her latest movie, it just was so absence of the male gaze and it was so good and it was so much more sexy because it felt like she had a lot of agency and it was about her enjoying herself and performing versus putting on this show. And I feel like I encounter that a lot in K-pop of, okay, this feels forced performance because a lot of times you forget that K-pop is this machine that exists and it's just going and who you like is a part of this machine. And so sometimes it feels natural and real and you're into it. But yeah, anytime I like hit it where it's like, oh, this feels forced. It feels weird to me. It feels weird to me. And you see it sometimes even within within bands as far as she's BTS as an example. Like JK, there'll be some times where I'm watching JK and I'm like, that man is the finest man on the planet look at him go he's so sexy he's so in it and then sometimes you feel the effort and the performance where he's maybe not feeling himself he's feeling a little insecure something's going on and so he's not he's like more performing it versus really feeling it he's still getting to know himself and he's still growing so I feel like it's more often a sexual performance than it is like him being innately sexual and like feeling it and not necessarily overthinking it. Like, for example, I think this is like a hot take, but I think your time, JK, is sexy. It's like sexy. It's a sexy performance. But Lot Concert 2019, JK, was like him being really sexy and like his smile, like the black suit. He was just feeling himself that day. And I don't know what was going on. I have some guesses. <laughs> friends who know me know what I think was going on during that time for JK but I think that he 
was just sexy in a way that was just very innate. Another example would be Jimin. I feel like Jimin, as like I said, the evolution of his performance is slightly different because I know a lot of people like to talk about how he grew out of his toxic masculinity, which I think is like a problematic statement personally. I think that Jimin is a multifaceted person and all these efforts to make him one thing and represent one thing. And he has a lot of agendas put on him. But in reality, I think he's a little bit of both, especially I don't know, like I don't want to get into what I think his sexual proclivities are, but I think he's somebody who embraces both his masculine and feminine parts. And yeah, that's all I'm gonna say on that. Like I think that he's just somebody who is like I said, multifaceted, but because of his presentation, I think there is a lot of efforts to make him one thing. And I think he's lots of different things, but he's somebody who his performance is a performance of sexiness, but he's also sexy. And like, I think the same thing about Namjoon, like Namjoon is like a sexy person. When he performs, he's sexy. Hobie is a good example of somebody who is a combination of both. Like he performs sexiness really well and he's hot. But he's really the hottest when he doesn't realize he's doing it. (laughs) Like in the little moments, he's even hotter, I think. But yeah, I think that the difference between the sexual performance and sexuality is really interesting in K-pop. Because yeah, because of the industry around it, there's a lot more of the performance versus like people who are legitimately feeling sexy. But feel versus feel like they have to be sexy And they're performing the sex appeal for the male gaze or a kind of uh, the female gaze, but it's not really. It's like the female gaze according to men, what men think that women like sometimes. Like I said, one of my theories is that the biggest reason why BTS, for example, is successful because they understand the difference. I don't even think that's like the management. I think that's the members have a deep understanding of what people, what their audience finds sexy. I was thinking about this again when the Grammy stuff happened and they like sent us those thirst traps, but they were very specific thirst traps because they understand it. And I would love to hear who you think, what are some other examples of like people who are sexy versus people who are performing sexiness a lot of times and aren't necessarily personally there yet. I guess we could talk about the problematic nature of this and how a lot of the reasons why this exists and why some people are not able to access their sexualities because of the trauma of being a k-pop idol and how their development and how they view their sexuality is through the lens of how people perceive them but that's another conversation for another day but i think there is definitely something there about that And another thing that I was thinking about around this is, have you noticed that different idols, the sort of the thirstiness level is different for different idols? I would say that, for example, again, I'm just going to use BTS as an example, because like I said, that they're my alt group. Namjoon stands are super thirsty. And I say that as a Namjoon stand. And then I would say JK's fans are super thirsty. And they're like on opposite sides of the spectrum. And the reasons why I think that their audiences are sexy are for like different reasons. Like for Namjoon, I think it's because he represents traditional masculinity. But 
because he is who he is and because he's a part of BTS, he feels non-threatening and he feels like somebody who can take care of you, who's strong, can take charge. And so I think that is sexy to people. I think he's also like taller and stuff like that. I think that's what all contributes to the sexiness around him is that there's like this this he has this sort of like energy around him of he will take care of you in all sense of the words and that he's just like big and and so I think that makes us all feel thirsty because it's like a safe version of like straightforward male masculinity that we might have been exposed to but it's not doesn't have the toxicity of a lot of other things and then for JK, I think it's because, again, it's the non-threatening sexuality thing. I think it's because he's the youngest and he, and I think it's the same reason why he gets baby too, is that he's like a blank slate again, because he's still getting to know himself. He's not as, I feel like Jimin and Tay, who also have some stuff, but not nearly as JK, they, their personalities are pretty filled in. I think JK is still developing himself. He's still becoming a person. And so I think that there's easy. And so it's, oh, and he's like still developing himself. He's still becoming a person while also being like a perfect specimen of manliness. Like his body, his face, the fact that he's good at everything. He's like the ideal person and you can fill in with whatever you want. So I think that a lot of his stands like the fact that they can put a lot of fantasy on him without meeting much resistance because somebody like Tay and Jim they're they're like I said they're very well developed and they're like you don't have as much room to be like oh he's like this like Tay is his own way but JK I feel like there is a lot to fill in which is why like when you look at fanfic for, for JK like it runs the gambit like he's like super alpha JK super sub jk super like it's just it it runs the gambit versus well i think that a lot of the other members their fan fiction archetypes are pretty set i would say in my opinion so that's another thing that i think about too and i'd love to hear like what idols have the thirstiest fan bases and why do you think that is Like, why do you think that is? This podcast is a fucking mess. How am I going to edit this together? I've been recording for such a long time, like three hours, two hours. Okay. So next up, moving on from sexuality and stuff like that is my rant for this week. So I have two rants this week. So one rant is my sorrow. I feel so much sorrow around God. God 7 should be as popular as BTS. Like I feel like a lot of the other bands have given up trying to be competitive with BTS because the other management companies have too many groups to manage. They don't know how to create the attention and focus and branding on one band and grow it. But God 7 was it. Like I said, when I talk about they have a similar chemistry and connection with each other. They have a similar artistry around their music. 
They have personalities that people really, they're fun. They send, they tend to really like each other. I don't think I've talked about this before, but I think there is sometimes with K-pop groups, you can tell that they're not as close, but I think it matters being close. I think it really does. But I just, I'm, I'm ranting because I don't understand why JYP didn't see the opportunity that they, that they had with GOT7 and how they could have really been huge. They have three English speakers four English speakers like who speaks English Bam, Jackson and Mark they all speak English and so they really given BTS a, a run for their money and they just let them go like that and it's just I just was feeling really sorrowful about that this week I was like what a fucking and obviously I'm so proud of them because they're staying together but it's clear that the next stage of their career is going to be more separate. But there's no reason why they couldn't be as big as BTS. Especially if you listen to their, I don't know if you listened to their last album. The last piece is so fucking good. It's so fucking good. They're so good. And I'm just annoyed. And they're all so hot. Like, they're just perfect. Like, Jackson Wang is perfect for the global audience and they already have global celebrities in their group like jackson wang is huge in china bam bam is like a thai prince mark has a lot of american fans like the jb i'm obsessed with jb i think he's so hot but you know what talking about sexuality and stuff like that i can't even think about jb in that way because he's friend zoned me so hard it's so aggressive i can't even take my mind there i'm just like oh I guess he is my bestie. It's really depressing. I don't love it, actually. I don't love it. But yeah, that's my rant for this week. It's like, what? Justice for God 7. Like, why aren't God, why isn't God 7 on Jimmy Fallon? Make it make sense. Make it make sense. Okay. And then my second rant is about Blackpink. And how I just want to get to know Blackpink better. I was watching the documentary and it's good, but I want more Blackpink media. I want more because they're technically, they're the biggest, they're not technically, they are the biggest girl band in the world. But I don't really know much about any of the members and I try to watch a lot of their stuff but I still don't know anything. And we don't really ever see them together as much. I saw a really good episode of, was it No Bros? And it was so fun and they were so cool. And I want more. And so basically, my other thing is, can we let Blackpink out? I feel like they feel kidnapped to me. I want them out and about and having fun. I know that, let's see, they have, who has YouTube channel? I know that Jenny, does any, do any of the other ones have YouTube channels? Maybe Rosé? I love Rosé's new, her two songs. They're really good. But yeah, I want to know more. Like I want, I think overall there's less of a conscious effort to showcase the personalities of women in K-pop than it is the men. And why is that? I know why it is. Sexism. It's sexism, but I don't know. I could, so again, I'm supposed to have somebody here, but I could never do the show with somebody else because I'm all over the place. Like I have to figure out a better system. Mm. Okay. 
Moving on to questions, the questions of the week. First question somebody asked me was, can you talk a little bit more about being 23 and why the boys have a specific experience at 23, your experience at 23, just being 23, 23, 23. So I can say, okay, so when you're 23, 24, 25, it's like the the era of what the fuck, like what the fuck. And the bad thing is, is that you still don't figure it out until you're in your late 20s, <laughs> early 30s. But I think it's a time where you feel the most free, but also feel the most trapped. Like you feel like, oh, I'm an adult now. I can go out. But you feel trapped by the limits of your opportunities because you're just starting out. And the world feels expansive, but it also feels you you still have so much to do and you feel like you're chasing things. This is around the age where your desires get honed in on, like the things that you're going to pursue for the rest of your 20s get established in your early 20s. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes people don't know what they want for all of their 20s. But for a lot of people, the, okay, here's what I'm going to at least try to pursue this whole time gets figured out. It's different for everyone. And it's a lot of it is subconscious. Like some people are like, you know what? I really want to have a family. Like I need to get married and have a kid. And so that's their main pursuit. Some people are like, career, me, it was my career. I was like, I am going to excel at my career. I'm going to be the best at what I do. I'm going to make a bunch of money. I'm going to be like this big entrepreneur girl. And so that's what I pursued. Some people, it's like, oh, a dream or whatever. That happens around the age of 23. And so it's a time of exploration and decision making and also forming what is your personality going to be like for the rest of your 20s. This changes again when you're like 28, 29. But that's when it happens first. For me, what was I doing when I was 23? So 23, I had started my business. I had no desires for a family or kids or anything. I just wanted to have my business and have fun. And so I had moved to Texas and didn't know anybody in Texas but one friend. And I did. I built my business and I had fun. And I like partied and I hung out and did stuff. And my main focus in the sort of gauge as to how I measured how I was doing was by my business. And so also that's something that you lose in your late 20s. Like the thing that you also do in your early 20s is that you fixate, like I said, you fixate on something and some experience. And I was telling my friend this the other day who was like, I think she's 24, is that the reason why the 20s are so under or so like overrated is because it's like such a, you do this thing where you're constantly chasing this thing that you're constantly pushing away from you. So the finish line always gets pushed back when you're in your 20s and nothing is ever good enough. And you keep opening boxes thinking that this box is going to be the box that makes you happy. And then you realize that there is never, ever going to be anything in the box. And so you just have to make yourself happy. And again, that's what I talked about with Jen the first week, that experience. And so 23 is when you start that journey. And I wish that I could stop you and tell you that there is nothing in the box. 
<laughs> there is truly nothing in the box. That's what you learn is that life is not as meaningless and that it's the meaning of it has nothing to do with anybody but you. And so you get to decide. But when you're 23, you're just like opening boxes up and being like, is this going to fulfill me? And and that's where like the emptiness starts. The emptiness of I feel empty and I'm going to fill it with this thing. And when I have this thing, I'm going to feel better. And then the rest of the 20s is like you figuring and you doing that and it not working. <laughs> this sounds grim, but this is how it is. And like I said, the 23 hair change, attitude change is like this moment in time where you're, like I said, feel free, but feel restricted. But then you also are like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to chase, which is why I think there's also like a big personality distinguish personality difference between when you're 23 versus 29 as like say I, I mean you see it in sugar his 2016 while in self living and then and that's what happens so you live well and then you find your focus and then by the time you're you get older you're, you settle into who you're going to be so those are my opinions about the age of 23 and who you are and what you are yeah i know that sounded grim but I guess my biggest advice, because I know a lot of you guys are younger than me, is to know that, like I said, there's nothing in the box and to really be present and enjoy your life and that your life cannot be tied to the pursuit of anything because that pursuit is never going to be. You see it all the time. Like with my friends, like they finally find the guy, have the kid, and they're like, now what? And it's because it was never the answer. And for me, like when my business became successful, it wasn't the answer. And yeah, that would be my biggest advice for 23. <laughs> Love y'all. <laughs> hope that wasn't so grim. Oh my God, this podcast. What am I going to do? Okay. The next thing is we're going to do, oh, what was the next question? The second question was how closely do I think that the personalities of K-pop bands follow <clears throat> what they share. I don't know. I think it depends. I guess I'll use BTS as an example. I would say let's go through each of them. I would say that Jin is definitely a totally different person <laughs> than what he presents. I think he really cultivates some of his more playful aspects, but I think that he's actually more of a serious business-oriented strategic person, I would say, for Jin. I think Suga is Suga. I truly think that's him. I think he's probably a little harsher. I think a lot of them are probably a little like, not that they're less friendly, but they're tired and they're very busy. And so I think he's probably a little, not standoffish, but a little short, I would say, short with people. But I don't think he's like outright rude. I don't think. I think he's probably just a little short and like his reputation is like, oh, like Suga's a little short with people. I would say Namjoon is probably... A little shorter with people than we imagine. I, I think he's probably not as patient as he looks. Like he seems like he's really patient, but I don't think he's that patient. He's a Virgo, and so I think that he's a little bit more less patient, maybe a little bit more judgmental than he comes off. Like, I think that like their personalities are essentially there, but like the edge is taken off of their personalities. For example, I I don't know. I'm pretty pretty much me on here. I would say that I'm probably a little darker than I come off. <laughs> But I'm pretty dark. Okay, so Hobie is, of course, a lot more serious than he looks. I would say Tay. I think Tay is exactly the way he is. 
And I think that he's probably, I'm sure he has secrets. But as far as personality, I don't think he has the capacity to hide his personality much. I think he's probably like what we see. He's like a happy-go-lucky guy and until he's moody and when he's not. I think Jimin is probably a little bit sassier than we see. But it's still a fundamentally kind person, but it's definitely sassy and edgy. I think the JK is pretty much what we see. I think he's probably a little goofier than we really get to see and sillier, but I think he's still forming his personality. So that's how I feel. I don't think that anybody's really good at hiding their true personality in K-pop. Not as not as much as they think they are. Like a lot of people who you look at and you're like they're supposed to be friendly or they're supposed to be this or they're supposed to be that. But I feel like you can sense that there's, that's not their true nature. Yeah, that's what I think. And so I don't – I mean, for BTS, like I said, at BTS, I think, like I said, there's tea of, like, harshness tea, I think, about them. But I think the essence is there because I don't think that the chemistry that they have would work if – because, for okay, another example is – like in sync and stuff, you could tell that they were not like super bonded in a way that there was like tension and that there was like some personalities that were off. Like you could tell it wasn't like a secret. And I think the same thing for Jonas Brothers and some of these other bands like Beast UK, you could tell they weren't good at hiding it. Like they would pretend to perform these ways, but they weren't actually good at hiding the real nature of their personalities. So I think that definitely this reminded me of this moment I was watching. I know people really like Jay Park. I'm just, I think Jay Park for me is triggering. I don't want to talk about my dating history here, but Jay Park, he was doing an interview and he was talking about something. He was reading thirst tweets. And at one point he stopped and he was like, and somebody was like, I don't know, eat my ass like a sandwich or some shit. And he's, I could be really naughty if I wanted to be, but I'm a nice guy. And I was like, Jay Park, that statement does not have the impact that you think it does. <laughs> that is not giving what you think it's giving. And so there's a lot of moments like that in K-pop where you're witnessing people interact with each other and you're supposed to feel something because they are performing it, but you can really tell. But maybe I can just really tell because literally that's my job. It's my job to understand what's the truth and what's the strategy. And so I feel like I have that, I have to have that skill because literally I'm like, that's what I do. But I'd be curious to know what artists you feel like have the same vibe or like we're supposed to think that they're bonded, but they're really not. I feel like I can always tell who are the members that are like the not as nice members, who are the members that are not connected. Even like within BTS, I feel like I have a good sense of who's close with, who's probably not as close with who. Even though they're all brothers, there's clearly like distinguishing lines. But again, that could be my work. Okay. And now let's go to the game. So every week we'll have a game. And this week's game is... And the game is just basically answering a question. It's like my K-pop happy hours if you've been on my TikTok. I need to do one this week. I haven't done one in a long time. But this one is of your alt group. Who do you think? This isn't a dating question, although you can interpret it as dating. That's another thing. I want to know. 
I've been asking you guys who are in my messages who you think you're a good fit for via my descriptions last week. And I want to know still who do you think that you'd be a good fit for? And I've been asking people who they think I would be a good fit for. So I want to know that as well. So tell me when I made the initial descriptions, I still haven't finished Nam June's second partner description. I'm still working on it. Mentally, I'm not there yet. I don't know what I, I don't know what I want to say. But yeah, I said Nam June, I think is probably me because I am like an, a fiercely, like a very independent person who like wants a more monogamous relationship because I like my freedom. But who knows? Okay, but the question this week is, who do you think that you would, that the members of your alt group, you would vibe with the most? Or they they would like vibe with you and you would like instantly start talking just like in a friendly passerby way. Because you know how like when you meet people and like you just like connect instantly or you don't connect like that. Who do you think would be the person you would connect with? Who's the person you would connect the least with? And so for me, I would say that probably the member that would I would like click with the best or maybe who would like like me and would like we would talk the best. I want to say Namjoon because we're similar, but we might be too similar and we might fight when we meet because we're both like pretty opinionated heady people. But if you follow that logic, maybe JK would be um, somebody who would find me interesting and we would like talk. But I don't know what I would talk to him about, but I feel like he would be like somebody who I would talk to him about stuff. He'd be like, yeah, yeah. Or like Tay, maybe. I feel like Tay, because we're Cancer and Capricorn, I feel like we could like talk and just dive into it. Like I feel like me and Tay are both not small talkers. So I feel like we would instantly be like, so what's your deepest desire and fear and go at it? And again, I think that could also be true for Namjoon. But like I said, we're either going to, we would either meet and click or meet and maybe I don't fuck with him. He thinks he's too smart. So yes. I also think that maybe Jin, I think that maybe Sugar would think that I'm a little too much. <laughs> They'd be like, she talks too much and she's like too loud. Maybe Sugar wouldn't be into it. I don't know. I'm still going to work through this question, but those are my answers for now. But that is your question for this week that I want to know. Who do you think would, from your alt group, my alt group is BTS. Should I do GOT7 too? I'll do GOT7. Bam Bam probably. I think me and Bam Bam would connect instantly. I don't think JB would like me. (laughs) I don't think JB would like me. I think he would side eye me. I'd be obsessed with him. Bam Bam and Jackson, I think, would definitely, we would connect right away. Like we would vibe. I feel like we're very kind of similar energies. Blackpink. I don't think any of them would like me. No, that's not true. Me and Lisa. Lisa would could kick it. Jisoo, yeah, Jisoo, that's my bias. I think she can get along with anybody. I don't think Jenny would like me. I don't know if Rose would like me either. <laughs> so those are my answers for that. Okay, so that's it for this podcast. But I have a very exciting announcement to make. So I want to make this podcast more interactive Currently, I feel like I can't bring on anybody yet until I get my system down a little better, but hopefully in the future we can do that. But in the meantime, I want to feature you guys on the podcast. So I'm going to ask a question, and if nobody does it, 
forget I said it and we'll forget it ever happened. But I have a site called speakpipe.com slash grown ass fandom. You can see it in the description. And I'd love for you to either send any responses that you have to the podcast any questions you want to ask, any comments you want to make, kind of like Savage Lovecast style. I don't know if you've ever listened to that podcast. At the end of the podcast, he features questions, comments, confessions, whatever you want. I would love for you to send those so I can put those on the podcast and I can respond to them. It could be something that you'd like for me to talk about, something you just want to say and have out there. So it's more like we're talking to each other. And I'm excited because I want to do it. And I always love these section of podcasts where people submit their questions or talk about it. It's completely anonymous unless you want to share your stuff. Of course, promote yourself on the podcast and I might feature it on the show. And again, if nobody does this, forget I said it, but I'd like to try it. So speakpipe.com slash grown ass fandom. Anything that you want to say, I think it has to be 90 seconds. I believe, but if we want to do it longer, I can pay for the subscription. But I was like, I'm not going to pay for this until I know people are going to do it. So if you guys do it, like I said, you can ask me anything, say anything you want. I'll play it on the back end of the podcast. I think next week we're going to have it to be sort of like a light podcast. I think I'm going to play games, answer questions, have it be open, maybe do some fanfic stuff. So if there's anything that you want to contribute to that, this would be a great play to do it. So yeah, submit your questions, comments, anything you want to be on the show at speakpipe.com slash fandom. And that's it for this episode. It was, this episode was a ride. <laughs> like I said, next week, we're just going to like shoot the shit um, because this was a ride. And yeah, if there's anything you want to say, find me on tiktok.com slash heyshanae. And I will see you guys next week. Next week. Yes. Let's go. Doja Cat. BTS. I'm sure that is going to... Can you imagine (laughs) Doja Cat and Jimin to be a fly on that wall, right? Oh, goodness. Okay, bye.
trying to get 